Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Doc Wesson, and in this episode of the Gun Nation, Average Joe compares two hideout guns in a head-to-head. New ammo designs. Are they worth it? And what should you do if you're caught without a gun during an active shooter situation? All that and more in this episode of the Gun Nation. It all begins right now. audience it's this i <laughs> your doctor here i am again and got the blade yeah there's joe good evening and we're gonna throw the we're gonna throw the knowledge down tonight as we always do <laughs> oh you know we're just gonna have fun talking about gun stuff and all that so i like it how's everybody doing joe, uh joe you you doing all right well, as I was talking to Paul prior to the uh, show, uh, mm-hmm. it's a very chilly here in the Average Joe uh, Laboratories uh, tonight. Uh, the over the weekend, the fir- furnace broke down, and after three days of uh, um, diagnosing it, they found that the heat exchanger had cracked and is spewing flame and uh, carbon monoxide. So. Well, uh, I get a new furnace tomorrow, but for tonight, uh, it is shut off, which is perfect because we're getting about six inches of snow. Oh, yes. So, um, while you were out mowing your lawn, sure to, was. Uh, I was out clearing the driveway. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're kind of scattered, aren't we? I mean, you, you know, you're up there in Minnesota, and, and normally, uh, the blades out in, over in, Ohio, up in Ohio. Which I'm assuming when you left Ohio, it was still kind of cold up there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was cool. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't crazy cold. It was kind of warm for the season, but yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. you're down in Florida now. Yep, gonna have to probably take a little bit of Advil before I go to bed. A little bit of sunburn on the oh, shoulders. Oh, you know, vinegar works on that, right? Oh, really? Well, that's what I've heard. My yeah. wife told me that all I had to do was urinate on myself, and it would be fine. <laughs> and uh, she had a fun time she videotaping that. And she didn't have... Ever... <laughs> Thanks, sweetheart. Nah, vinegar. Did, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, a Friends episode, like jellyfish stings? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, the... Um, they say if you put vinegar, like white vinegar, mm-hmm. or, uh, it's either... I guess it's white vinegar. Here in the South, that's a big thing. You put vinegar on everything. French right. fries, you know, on everything. Sunburn. Sunburn, collard greens. I mean, the whole shebang. So. Get a dent on the fender. I put some vinegar on it. It'll yeah, be fine. Vinegar always seems to work for everything. I heard fresh lemon juice works well, too. On sunburn? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, Listerine is the one that I have heard yes. most recently that I was talking Kerosene, hmm. gasoline. Lighter fluid and the lip match. Right. So this is just, you know, make it hurt a little bit more right up front so it doesn't feel so bad. Right. When it, uh, it's like when you heal. burn yourself, put your hand under hot water. Right. It gets it gets the burn out. Goodness. Anyway, only in the south. And you're deep in it right now. So uh, Deep in it. Yeah. What are you doing down there in Florida? Uh, you know, it's the spring break time, and so the, the wife and kids and I hopped on an airplane and cruised on down and spent some time with family. We've got folks in from uh, from the West Coast and us from Ohio and folks from Florida, so we're all spending time together and 
enjoying the sun. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. yeah, it was today. It was like 77 here, I think. But this past weekend, uh, it got, I think the high one day was like 42 and it was down in the 30s at night. Mm. So, yeah, we, we get we get those crazy swings. I mean, you know, and then, of course, all, uh, all the trees and everything's got like the pollens just <laughs> kicking it right now. I don't even wash the car for like a long time. I take a good, fast, long drive first to blow it off because when you go you know put that rag or whatever you're using across the car it just scratches the crap out of it. it's like pumice but uh yeah we mm, it's coming on it's coming on but yeah i had to mow we've had some decent water you know rain and everything and then uh then these days of warmth and sun and it just man i'll tell you what if i keep it looking that way all year the good thing about summer is eventually it just dries up and gets hot then I don't have to mow. <laughs> but anyway, we spent all this money on it for what reason? But we're not here to talk about that. Let's talk about guns and stuff. Um, I'll tell you what, we've been enjoying having uh, Joe do his uh, stuff at the beginning. Uh, so why don't we do that first? And tonight he has a, and we ought to do a new segment like this. So you ought to do this every once in a while. Head to head. Mm-hmm. It's a comparison, people. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to like it. Go for it, Average Joe. All right. Tonight we're going to uh, compare the Performance Center Smith & Wesson Shield versus the Talo Edition Glock 43. And, of course, Doc, I know I've explained this to you before, so you'll have this right on the tip of your tongue. Uh, what does the acronym Talo mean? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell me before? Oh, Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Stands for Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma. Oh, does it really? Yeah, that's where the original distributors were that formed Talo so that they could get better deals for manufacturers and convince manufacturers to do special limited edition firearms for them. Dang, man. I thought it was, um, what's that guy's name again? Wiley Clapp. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's, uh, that's Ruger and Colt. Oh, yes, of course. Put that out. <laughs> um, but these are two, you know, pretty slick little pistols. Uh, and I'm sure you remember that uh, Smith & Wesson introduced the Shield back in 2012, and it quickly became the go-to gun for those looking for an easy-to-conceal, reliable, and accurate pistol. And last year in 2015, Glock unveiled their long-awaited single-stack 9mm pistol, the Model 43. So Glock is then poised to take the small concealable market away from Smith & Wesson. Or are they? Uh, let's start by listing the enhancements for both of these special edition uh, pistols. For the Performance Center, uh, it has a high-vis green fiber optic front sight backed up by a high-vis red fiber optic uh, rear sight. Uh, it has a ported barrel and it has a Performance Center um, trigger job. Over to the Talo edition, it has a blaze orange pro glow front night sight and a black serrated U-notch rear sight. Um, so there's a little bit more work done on the Performance Center shield than has been done on uh, the Glock 43. Now I did have an issue with the sights on the Glock 43. That's the blaze orange night sight and the black U-notch. In drawing the pistol in complete darkness, I found that upon illuminating the pistol uh, with my flashlight after I had drawn it and presented it towards my uh, supposed threat, that the front sight consistently wound up outside uh, the left sight rear post. In other words, my point of aim was significantly to the left as the front sight was winding up outside of uh, the rear sights. Now, I have these exact same sights on my Glock 19, but this phenomenon doesn't occur with that. And I think the width of the 19 helps me maintain a truer sight picture in the darkness, and the much thinner 43 allows for some pretty uh, significant deviation. Realistically, though, the chances of me shooting in total darkness are somewhat slim. Uh, between the moon and street lights, there are always some ambulant, uh, ambient light coming into the house along with my ever-present stash of flashlights that I have concealed throughout the premises. 
another issue I have with the sights concerns my aging eyes. Looking through the sights, the G43, uh, I get double vision and see two blaze orange dots at the end of the slide. On the Performance Center Shield, I view the fiber optic sight as one brilliant um, green dot. And as always, I should have mentioned it at the beginning, uh, we invite you to come over to Average Joe's handgunreviews.blogspot.com so you can see the pictures that uh, illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, there's a nice little photo showing the sights uh, on both of those pistols. And um, there's a nice side-by-side -side size comparison um, of the two pistols as well. And if you look at the specifications of the two pistols, they appear to be about the same size. However, there really is a major difference in the height of the pistols. The specs show that the Glock is about a quarter of an inch shorter than the Smith & Wesson, but this is a little bit deceiving in how the Glock feels in your hand. Both pistols are uh, equipped with magazine extensions to give your little finger a chance to assist in gripping the pistol. But on the Smith & Wesson, that extension is present in both the front and back of the grip, which makes the entire grip frame a little bit longer. The Glock extension only provides a front surface for my little finger, but doesn't extend to the rear surface of the grip. Hence, the base of my palm uh, feels like it's not really engaging the back strap fully. This tended to make it feel to me as if I wasn't exercising full control over the pistol and it always kind of felt like it could fly out of my hands. Uh, Price-wise, the Talo Glock, Talo Glock, however that's pronounced, 43, is about 5% more than the Performance Center Shield. So not a huge difference in price between these two pistols uh, at all. Now, one of the criticisms of the Smith & Wesson M&P series of pistols has always been kind of the sloppy trigger pull. They addressed this on the shield when they brought it out, and I have to tell you, the, the pull on the Performance Center version has been worked on by the Performance Center gunsmiths, uh, resulting in an even better trigger pull on the Performance Center shield. The trigger pull on the Glock 43 is, well, it's a standard Glock trigger pull. So battle for the better trigger pull goes to Smith & Wesson. That takes us down to accuracy, and as you can see from the comparison targets that I have below, um, which were shot at 21 feet and at 40 feet, um, the shield shot slightly tighter groups than the Glock 43. I don't necessarily mean to say that the Glock had poor accuracy. Its combat accuracy was just fine. It's just that the shield's accuracy is just a little bit better. And as you get down to the uh, targets at 40 feet, you'll see the Glock 43 target I fired 15 rounds at, and the shield target I fired a full box of 50 uh, at that one. And that was simply because the shield was a much more pleasant and fun pistol to shoot. Um, the overall feel in the hand was better, the trigger pull was better, the follow-up uh, uh, with the pistol was better, and uh, I think that's a real bonus for the performance shield. Now when the shield was first introduced about four years ago, I reviewed it and found it to be good but unimpressive. The performance center version is a significant step forward, but one word of caution about the ported barrel. The most common place for a civilian to be attacked is when getting into your car. This will be extreme close quarter combat. More than likely you'll be fending off the assailant with your weak hand draw and fire from your dominant hand. This shot is going to be in very close proximity to your body and as a result the ported barrel is going to funnel the flame and hot gases upward. So you just need to make sure your face is not in their path. I like the Performance Center Shield quite a bit. If my personal carry situation required that I carry the smallest 9mm semi-automatic pistol, I would definitely go with the Glock. But based strictly on performance, I would choose the Performance Center pistol. Doc? Wow. Wow. Going for the uh, Smith & Wesson over the Glock. I like it. Only the Performance Center one, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since I've shot 
well, it's been four years since I've shot the regular shield, and this performance center just seemed to be a cut above with the sights and the trigger job. It's really a fantastic pistol for not a tremendously, uh, uh, you know, higher amount of money. Yeah, I can't say I can't say that I've ever seen a special version of Glock anything that was coming. I mean, like a distributor's version or whatever, like Tallow. That's amazing. Have they done that before? Something like that. Uh, yeah, they have about four or five different versions of Glock that they have done in the past. Mm -hmm. Now, Glock doesn't do um, special editions, so they have to have that done by somebody, uh, by, by a third party. I think the first one they did was a Glock 42, uh, or excuse me, Glock 22, 40 Smith & Wesson, with a high-polished blue slide. Mm -hmm. um, they've currently got a uh, Marine Corps um, uh, Semper Fi Model 19 edition, uh, a as well as some, as some others. So with Smith & Wesson, all of those enhancements are coming from Smith & Wesson. With Glock, um, those have to be done by an outside third party. Hmm. There, there is a piece of paper that comes in all of the Glock Talo editions that says, if you have a question or a problem with these sites, do not contact Glock. Gotcha. Uh, you know, contact Glowpro. Huh. And, it, and it makes sense that Glock can't do any kind of uh, improvement on its gun because, I mean, Glock perfection, right? I mean, how could you possibly make it better <laughs> than what it is from of the factory? Course. So Glock, Glock can't do anything with those pistols to make them better. Well, what... Um... <laughs> So, so anything done behind it just screws it up. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing that could be made better. Well, um, Paul, just, just based on the standard M&P and the standard uh, shield and the yeah. standard, uh, that standard Glock, mm -hmm. you have a preference on the standard ones? Yeah. If we're, if we're talking standard, I'm going, for me personally, with the Smith & Wesson shield all day long. Okay. Um. I have exactly the same experience that uh, Joe had when I shoot the Glock 43 in that I have a hard time making that gun group as well as I'm capable of, of shooting. Mm -hmm. And the reason is is because of an inconsistent grip. The, the frame is so small and so thin that it tends to not fit in the same place in my hand every time. I have a very hard time getting that grip to be the same. And it even moves inside my hand oh, from shot to shot. it's just around. Yeah, you don't and want I, that. And I think that's probably, you know, Joe talked about the idea that the gun felt like it was going to flip out of his hand. I have a hard time clamping my hands down to get around that forty-three. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not a great gun for somebody else. Right. It's just not the best gun for me, whereas the, the shield, on the other hand, fits my hand very comfortably. It, it seems like it's actually the perfect size grip for my hand. I don't have huge hands. You know, Glock 19 is a little bit too big. Mm -hmm. The shield fits really nicely. Um, and, and Joe pointed out specifically on the, on the base pad, it extends that grip, makes it nice. You've got a spot for your pinky on that extended magazine. The big frustration I have with that grip is that sleeve that slides up and down and the fact that your hand traps the magazine inside the gun. And the Glock 43 doesn't have that tendency because... The, the magazine pinky extension is trimmed back in the back so that it's smaller. It's not, it doesn't go down. Your heel of your hand can't trap it in. Gotcha. And I really like that design better. That's why, you know, we designed the Plan B. That's what that's for specifically for the Smith & Wesson Shield is to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. and, and, Joe, I'm really pleased to see in your review talking about the, the issue with a ported gun. And from a self-defense standpoint... If you were to give me a choice between a Glock 43 and the custom, you know, pro shop gun from Smith & Wesson, I would not take the performance center gun because of the, the ported barrels. I don't want to have to deal with, you know, the, the hot gases, the, the flames coming out of the top of that gun because the possibility of having a contact shooting is too much. So I would, you know, if, if somebody handed one to me, the first thing I'd do is start scrounging for a standard barrel to drop in. So that it was no yeah. longer ported. There is nothing in any of the literature that it's a super special match barrel or anything. So right. that's exactly what I've thought. The, the, the shield was loaned to me by uh, someone. And I'm thinking about getting it. But if I do get it, you know, I'm going to replace the barrel. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, a little bit 
miffed and it's hard to tell from the picture. And so Joe, you might be able to, to explain in a little bit more detail. The sights on the rear of this shield look like there may be a vertical edge on the front. Now the standard sights on an M&P shield are not, they're sloped. There's no way to use those sights to be able to manipulate the, the slide of the gun. And that's something that I want to see, especially on a, on a quote performance gun. I want to be able to manipulate those, those sights on a holster, on a belt, on a sharp edge of a table so I can rack the slide if I need to fix a malfunction one-handed, load a gun one-handed, et cetera. And yeah. standard, uh, standard doesn't work, and it, I'm not sure that this would work either. Um, I, there is not much of a ledge there. Yeah. There is a small ledge, but it's only large enough because it has to accommodate that, that red fiber optic pipe. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's going through it. Yeah. So. The uh, the night sights that are now available on an M&P shield, those are notched in the front. And so I was glad to see that change. And I don't know if they're going to make that change with the sight profile of the standard sights or not, um, but I'd, I'd love to see that change made. That's one of the other deficiencies of the pistol. You know, when I look at the performance center gun, unless I really wanted something that said performance center on it, I look at it and I think to myself, well, you know, those sights aren't going to work for me, so those need to get changed. A trigger and the work, I'm sure it's great from the uh, performance center, but Apex makes great duty trigger kits. So, you know, I'd be tempted to go with a M&P shield with night sights and drop in an Apex if I really felt like I needed to improve the trigger. And I'm not sure that anyone really does. It's pretty darn good out of the box. And I'd be pretty much ready to go other than throwing a plan B on the bottom. I was going to say that. Plan so B I'm not, I'm not thrilled. Yeah, that, you know, and I'm, I'm a pretty firm believer that that's a good, solid improvement to the gun as well. And, and I know that I'm the designer and I, you know, stand to profit all that. So take that with a grain of salt. But um, I think it's a good thing. And I'll tell you what I really want to see. The Performance Center shield I'll be jumping all over is the 4-inch slide, the long slide version. Oh, yeah. doesn't exist, but no. I'd love to see it. I would love to see it. You know, um, that small, the, the smaller single-stack light guns... Mm -hmm. Are they more finicky with with ammunition selection? What did you find in the in the testing, Joe? They the both of them ate everything, which you know that's the reputation that Smith and mm -hmm. Wesson Shield and mm -hmm. the Glock forty three have. Now you can move over to uh, the Boberg, or mm -hmm. you can move to the Kimber Solo, and yeah, you got ammo problems, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime we take these guns and we, we try and shrink them in size, one of the things that we do is we accentuate or, or really amplify the angles that ammunition needs to negotiate to get up and into the barrel. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges that, that we face is now, as opposed to having, you know, you know, making these numbers up, an inch for that ammo to be able to move up the, the quarter of an inch to get into the barrel up the feed ramp or the half inch, whatever it is. Now they've got to do that in half the distance because we're trying to make this gun as small as possible. Mm -hmm. And that means that it's harder to do. It just, if, if one thing is off, then the gun doesn't perform as well. So what we see is at times shooters that don't support the gun as well as uh, an experienced shooter like, like Joe would do, you know, he, I mean, he's going to have a good solid grip on the gun. He's going to give that gun something to recoil against, but a shooter that's less experienced, maybe intimidated by the recoil of the small nine millimeter of the Glock 43 in particular, they might have a harder time with the, uh, the function of the gun because just it's off just a touch. Mm -hmm. Everything's got to be right for these guns to work right. And I'm not saying that everything has to be right all the time for the Glock, but if something is off, there's more likelihood of a malfunction in this than say a Glock 19 mm -hmm. or a full the, size M&P. The dreaded limp wrist, I guess. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, Doc. Yeah. You, you summed it up in, you know, you took, you took in and shortened my really long and, and extended description that, you know, sometimes we've been used to, but don't have to worry about it. You summed that up nicely. Yeah. I was going to get a sandwich. But... Limp wrist. Yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah. No okay. sandwich for you. No sandwiches. Two years. <laughs> But, you know, the reason I say that is because, you know, they've got so much new ammunition that's coming out now. Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do with the, some of the lighter on the lighter side. You know, I guess like with a nine millimeter, um, you know, I guess what was it you carry the 148? Yeah, I'm, I'm carrying 147s in my I gun. meant 147s. Yeah. Me. Yep, yep. And then, uh, you know, of course, then the 124s and then yep. what's the 115, right? Yep. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and now and, we're seeing some of the defensive ammunition going even lighter than that. Yeah, it's crazy. Now it's it's yeah. it's it's touting super speeds. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and if you do the math, you know, instrumental energy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the 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 it's just like the old uh, calculations for you know if you're doing five fifty six versus the thirty caliber stuff. You know, sure. Slows down, but it's bigger. Same thing, forty-five and nine millimeter. Blah 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 blah. Uh, Joe, were you going to say something? Uh, no, I was just going to throw when we were talking about the lighter, the at higher speed. The Federal Guard Dog nine millimeter is one hundred and five grain, uh, and it's very soft shooting and very accurate. I just have a difficult time trusting my life to one hundred and five grain bullet yeah see that's that's the point and you know a lot of them nowadays i know taurus it came out with that what is it called the hex bullet it's the all copper mm-hmm. and you see that a lot now um the copper stuff and and it makes me wonder you know if, if this kind of stuff is going to start causing issues especially in some of the lighter handguns uh the smaller ones like that. that is that is something that needs to be paid attention to uh whenever i have a student that's having a hard time with a gun running if we can get them into some some higher mass ammunition, that's one of the things we look for when someone's limp wristing or having trouble supporting the gun so that, that it functions properly. Yeah. Uh, when we look at Lone Wolf, you know, I, I have a, a blog post up on my website that talks about converting your Glock 22 into a 9mm. One of the things that people run into is in a small number of guns, some reliability issues. Well, when we see that, the first thing you need to do is jump on some 124 grain nine millimeter and see if that takes care of the issue because, you know, it's it's a known issue and it's just a matter of tolerances stacking and things happening where man this gun just isn't going to run very well with 115s yeah. 124s help it to run much better so we have to we have to be aware and then we get into the issue of from a defensive standpoint mm-hmm. you know just because the mathematics looks impressive on a lighter bullet or a heavier bullet or a larger diameter bullet or whatever quality you're excited about doesn't mean that it necessarily performs in the same range. And that that instrumental energy that you talk about, really, in handgun rounds, we don't see a big difference in any of the handgun rounds Mm -hmm. until we start to get up to velocities, you know, above 2,000 feet per second. Mm -hmm. And then when that starts to happen, all of a sudden, the way the body reacts to that hollow point bullet entering the cavity and interacting with the water and opening up, now we've got a big difference in the permanent wound cavity. And that's where we see that difference. So I don't get excited about super light and fast bullets. Mm-hmm. I get excited about seeing stats where, hey, this round has worked with these agencies for this number of years in these kinds of situations. And I can look at it and say, okay, this is a bullet I can trust. Well, let's talk about a little bit about, you know, the new stuff coming out. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's something serendipitous. I mean, when it happens, you know, maybe somebody's come out with uh, a new design. Oh, here's one, for instance, here uh, from Underwood Ammo and Lehigh Defense. It's a new 45 ACP. Um, I'll put this on the uh, website so you can check it out. But, uh, you know, it's... It, it the board itself has got a, a unique design. It's it's top of it looks almost like a Phillips head screwdriver, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, it, I believe it's all copper. Uh, it shows to in their testing uh, FBI protocol terminal performance testing. Nice. Ten <laughs> percent uh, ballistics gelatin. Uh, they are shooting it from a five inch barrel, uh, which was an XD, and they were getting. Uh, now get this, thirteen hundred and fifty feet per second out of it. Okay, so you know it's going to be light. Uh, let's see, one hundred and twenty grains. Uh, they're looking at uh, two and a half uh, inch plywood, two and a quarter inch plywood, two and a half inch denim. They're shooting it through multiple things. It's got a little chart there, and uh, you know um, gives you the depth that it goes in. So I don't see anything, including auto glass, where it goes anywhere. That was the uh, the I guess the uh, most shallow it only went 15 inches so you know the through the denim it it, it penetrated 19 inches well you know you plug a you plug a standard hollow mm-hmm. point up with denim and it's going to penetrate more because it doesn't open up exactly. so I don't you know I'm, these numbers obviously look good but you know I don't know they're, they're like may have some type of I think they've got a link here you might be able to look at it but um, you know these are look like they're all copper. Um, lightweight, uh, 
Expensive? Good Lord, they're expensive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I $37. Mean, 37 37 bucks for 20. 20 I mean, is it really that... This stuff that's coming out now, these new fangled ammunitions like that RIP, R-I-P, or mm-hmm. whatever, it has got the friggin' hinges on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, why not just a standard old, you know, spear gold dot? I mean, that's worked. Yeah, that's that's one of the bullets that's on the list that I hand to my students. You know, 124 grain plus P in the spear gold dot, the old spear gold dot, not the new spear gold dot. I, I haven't seen the data for the new spear gold dot of, of how many shootings that it's performed well in, so I'm not ready to, to trust that yet. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ammunitions. Um, you know, the, the HST tactical, the bonded 9mm bullet in 147 grain from Federal. Love that round. That's what's in my gun. And what I love about those rounds is if you do some shopping online, folks, you don't have to buy this stuff at your local store. There are some things you should buy at your local store, and I hope Joe doesn't get mad at me for saying this. Defensive ammunition might not be one of those things. <laughs> Because it's darn expensive in boxes of 20. You know, you can buy a box of 50 HST for 39 bucks online. Yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're talking about less than a dollar a round for a quality defensive ammunition. That makes me smile and makes my, my heart lift and all those good things. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I guess eventually something like that, you know, I, I guess, uh, what is it? Necess- uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Uh, and you've got something that does work, but eventually they can come out probably with something that works even better. I mean, you know, I guess you can... That's how it, that's how it becomes. That's how the hollow point came around. Sure. I mean, you know. Um, but you see, it seems like recently you see a flood of these things coming out like this. Um, and, and, well, it, yeah. until Masayob tells me that um, I should be carrying it, I won't. Well, that's a pretty yeah. good point. And he yeah. goes by the same rule that uh, Paul's talking about, basically. You know. Yeah, prove it. Prove it to me. You know, yeah. this is yeah. this is science stuff. This is, you know, gathering of statistics. This is taking a look at how it is that things perform. And you know, reading reading this uh, this article, you know, it, it talks about the wound diameter after shooting through denim being two and a half inches in diameter. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what does that really mean? Now, it also says 100% weight retention. So basically all across the board until we get to auto glass, it's retaining 100% of its weight for this bullet. But what, what do they really mean when they say a two and a half inch wound diameter? I mean, I don't think that we can expect this bullet to give a two and a half inch wound diameter in a human torso. I don't think that that's what's going to happen. Now, was there gelatin disturbed in a two and a half inch radius at some point in that channel? Maybe. But again, unless I'm going to be attacked by jello, I don't really care about that. I care about the performance that we see in real situations. And man, that sounds impressive, but nah, I'm not, I'm not sold. You know, um, and two, the big move now, well, I say big move, but uh, going from lead to yeah. copper, all copper. And I guess being a part of that is, you, you know, you have with lead bullets. Um, well, when you start getting into like the rifle rounds, uh, you know, you You've got like lead and you've got copper jacket. You have it bonded to try to keep it together better. Um, I guess that's part of the reason for just going to all copper because it's all light materials and it's, you know, going to stay together a little bit better. I mean, I don't know. Um, I know lead typically is cheaper per pound than copper is. Mm-hmm. Um, lead weighs, I forgot, it's. I forget how much it is. How much it's it significantly more dense than yeah. It's than it's it's is. got a it got it more dense. I was going to quote the number, but I can't remember. It's been a while six. since I messed with it. B. I think copper's four and lead is six. Okay, thanks. Yeah, no B. problem. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, so what's what's the draw? What's the draw to go to copper? What do you guys think? I've got I've got a couple of of theories, and of course these are only theories, and and I think that it's number one, it's important for us to start heading down these avenues because at some point in time we may be forced down these avenues that's mm-hmm. the first thing to know and understand is that you know um we've we've got the problem that lead is and, and all metals are toxic to some degree lead happens to be one of the more toxic levels it's it's pretty easily soluble in the in the blood so it can get into the bloodstream we know that it causes learning disabilities in children it causes you know all kinds of problems in adults when you're exposed at high levels and so 
okay, there's, there's issue number one is sometime there may be a regulation or there may be a reason why it is that we need to move away from lead as part of ammunition. So I'm glad that at this point in time, there's some research that's being done to find out, well, is this going to be any good? Can we do anything with copper alone? The other thing I think is important to think about is from a manufacturing standpoint, bringing the two different types of metals together in that manufacturing process has got to be more expensive, more complicated than using a single type of metal to manufacture a bullet. If you can simply take a hunk of copper and smash it into the shape that you want in one step, that's going to be less expensive from a manufacturing standpoint than bringing the two metals together. Therefore, that mitigates the cost of the copper, the, the extra cost of the copper to some degree. And so I wonder if manufacturers are doing this to try and save money on manufacturing. And now that I do some manufacturing and try and design products, I mean, that's a big thing to consider. I don't want to choose doing something cheaper over doing it right. Yeah. So I always worry about that. But that's an interesting, you know, I, I wonder. It's, it's a theory that I have that manufacturers are messing with this because, well, it looks new and innovative and it looks like something people are going to want to try out and buy and maybe buy into. And if I can manufacture it cheaper and if I'm experimenting in, a, in an area that we're probably going to head someday anyways. And charge more. That, and charge more for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's you're right, I guess, uh, lead abatement, you know, you see a lot of that as far as, um, well, you know, like the shotguns uh, for mm -hmm. hunting, uh, they're, they've made the push to go to, what is it, tungst, tungsten mm -hmm. um, versus the lead pellets, yep. and tungsten, of course it's out in the, steel. yeah, and steel too, yeah, and and so, you know, um, kind of makes sense it's, it's out there, but you wouldn't think that much about it for concealed carry for defensive purposes, um, except for, you know, the range. I mean, I remember, right. you know, many times going to the range and it's the day they're cleaning the trap and it's just, I mean, good Lord, you know, it's like yep. 500 tons of <laughs> you know, lead. They've got, uh, they, they, they finally put it all together and have it on pallets sitting out in the parking lot for people to come pick it up, you know, for them to come pick it up and all. So it is a huge, a huge thing. But, uh, and then of course, you know, not just the, the copper, but all the new designs, like we mentioned that RIP round and, you know, I'm uh, this, this new one here from Lehigh. I mean, I, the feeding of, of the, the way these things are designed, you know, to me, it's like uh, the guns basically were designed originally around like ball type ammo, you mm -hmm. know, and then uh, from there to the hollow points, and then, you know, so adjustments were made and, and for semi-automatic uh, pistols and, and whatnot and to, to cause it to, you know, feed better because uh, there were some issues in some guns with the hollow point ammunition causing malfunctions. And so now I'm wondering, like, with all this flood, I, I just can't, I, I'm scared to trust that kind of stuff, period. So it gets all the way back to the same thing we said to begin with, which was, um, you know, if it's not been proven, it's okay to play with, I guess, but who's going to just mess around right. with it for $37 right. for 20 shots? I mean, and, gosh. and maybe it's the only thing you can find, you know, yeah. we've had those situations before where I've carried less than, uh, I don't want to say less than desirable, but certainly not my preferred defensive ammunition because I couldn't get what it is that I really wanted. Right. And so we may be forced into those situations and, and those kinds of situations will start to develop the data because of it. Yeah. But I'm not going to choose to be the guinea pig. No. And I've, I've never personally shot anything like that. Uh, not even pure copper. Uh, Joe, you ever shot any of the oddballs? Well, I say oddball, but the newfangled? <laughs> well, I, I have shot some all copper bullets before they were really being popular. Mm-hmm. And the accuracy wasn't there for me. Oh, Similar, really? You know, I think back to what was the name of the ammo? MagSafe. Mm -hmm. um, when that was really uh, hot and it was supposed to be a devastating round, but um, it shot very high for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, like eight inches high. So I, I guess first I'm looking for a round that's going to be accurate. Uh, then we can we can you know do all of that um, you know experiment with the other stuff uh, you know how about an aluminum bullet uh, <laughs> yeah. how about a stainless steel bullet mm -hmm. um, how about a polymer bullet I've seen you know 
uh, I, I think there's somebody making a polymer bullet. Um, but, it, you know, accuracy and terminal performance is what's going to rule the day. And we can't just get drunk on velocity figures. Right. And, and I expand that out, Joe, to say it can't just be velocity. It can't just be weight or mass. It can't just be diameter. It can't be penetration. We've got to look at that whole package and make a good decision based on terminal performance and how it works in real situations. Now, I've been experimenting with, uh, you know, some specialty loads that show great promise, but they are going to be expensive. They're made of uh, baby seal teeth and uh, eagle beaks. <laughs> I have not had a chance to work with the eagle beaks, uh, but the eagle talons, um, those have just performed beautifully. Uh, what I do is we catch eagles, and, and a lot of times we take them out, right out of the nest and, and uh, um, raise them up right in the in the shower in the bathroom, and then we grind the talons down into dust, and they regrow, which is, I mean, renewable resource. Yeah. The Gun Nation, brought to you by PETA. <laughs> People for the ethical PETA, right. <laughs> Hopefully everybody would realize that this is not... <laughs> <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you guys. Um, I think what you're going to find eventually, there's going to some, be something new that would, you know, show up. But I think that a lot of times something like that would have to be a combo, I think, between a round, you know, a cartridge and a gun together. But see, that whole thing just... Even as good as that would be, it's going to be so expensive, right? Because you know you've got proprietary everything, um, right? You know for for one group. So because you've seen that in the past, I mean, uh, it's just like the I remember the the Dirty Harry uh, forty four Magnum Automag, and uh, how we've talked about that before. How cool it is, you know? It's forty four Magnum, but it's Automag. And, um, you know, that's a, a proprietary round and a proprietary gun. I hear they're coming back out with that. Um, I read recently. I think they're going to start making it again. But the, the, the whole thing is, you know, each if you could find the ammo, it was extremely expensive. So uh, so I don't know. <clears throat> we'll, we'll see. I guess eventually somewhere down the line, laser beams will be the, the next latest and gr greatest thing. But uh, anyway... Um, well, uh, let's change gears a little bit. Um, you know, we had this uh, situation that uh, happened in Belgium. Um, it's a complete disaster. I mean, and, and just, you know, we feel for everybody involved with that for sure. Um, but, uh, Paul, you, you were talking about, you know, reaction and, uh, you know, what, what, what happens in a case, you know, like an active shooting type case? Mm -hmm. What if you don't have a gun? I mean... Yeah, that's one of the things. Um, the uh, of course, as Doc, you mentioned, our hearts go out to everyone involved in this. Whether whether you are you know related to, to someone that uh, was involved or just uh, it's horrible. Like like I don't even know how you how you deal with these kinds of things. I, I saw a post from you know Cleveland Hopkins Airport where you know I'm from in in the Cleveland area, and oh, we won't be making any changes to security protocols. And the fact is, is that they don't know what to do. Um, that leaves it up to us. That's the reality. But th this is a situation where Brussels, okay, none of us here, if we're visiting Brussels, are very likely to be carrying a firearm when we're there. I mean, that's just not going to happen, right? We're in a foreign country. Um, we're, we're not necessarily going to have that option to have a firearm, even if we're here in the U.S. You know, let's say I'm at the ticket counter of the airport and I'm checking in with my family to go on vacation. I'm not going to be armed at that time. The gun is going to be unloaded, locked up in the suitcase. And if, you know, it's like this last trip, TSA will leave my suitcase unlocked after they do a secondary inspection. But hey, I mean, way to go, guys. Um, but I'm going to be at that ticket counter, and, and I'm not going to have a firearm to be able to react. It's not an option. If I'm visiting New York City with my family and I'm on the subway, I'm not going to have a firearm to be able to deal with the situation the way that I would most like to deal with it if I had to. I, I don't ever want to be in this kind of a situation. But if I had to, I'd love to have a firearm to deal with it. And so what really comes down to is, what's the story? Are we in this kind of a situation where we have active killers who may be armed with firearms trying to hurt people? In this case, it seems like uh, primarily bombings. But if these people, and you, you, you need to stop them, and they're armed, how do you do it? What do you do? 
That's the big question. And I think that there are a couple of things that people need to keep in mind. We have to understand that the firearm is not some kind of a magic tool that has a death ray that, you know, fires out of the end and kills everyone in sight. That's not how firearms work. Firearms are mechanical devices. They can fail. They can be caused to fail. They can run out of ammunition. And if they don't have someone operating them, well, they don't work at all. And so we have to keep in mind that guns don't always work and capitalize on those moments. So let's start with the idea of, you know, you're in some kind of a situation, an active killer, the gun needs to have an operator to hurt people. So eliminate the operator. You know, if there are 25, 30, 40, 50 people in an area and six or seven or eight of those people decide to rush the shooter, not everybody's necessarily going to make it through that situation unscathed, but there's probably very little likelihood that the shooter is going to be able to continue to operate their firearm through that situation. Even a, even a 10-year-old child hanging off the end of a rifle or a handgun, pulling it out of the line of fire towards other people, that gun no longer is going to operate the way the operator wants it to. You know, maybe you're going to apply a fire extinguisher to the back of the head of the person that's running the gun. They can no longer operate a gun if they're unconscious. That's a beginning of what it is that you can do. Also understand that, as I mentioned, guns need ammunition. So if there's a situation where shooting is happening, wait for that opportunity when the gun is out of ammunition. That's your time to move. You know, there was a, a shooting in a high school, and I remember a wrestler, you know, watching a shooter, sees the gun run out of ammunition, and that's when he charged and took the shooter down. That's what it is that we can do as well. When that gun is out of ammunition, that's the time to act. What about when that gun malfunctions? You know, it's this, it'll look the same as if that gun is out of ammunition. You know, probably the shooter pulling the trigger, nothing happening, confusion, looking, and then, you know, starting to work on the malfunction or reload the gun. That's your time to act when the shooter's trying to use the gun, but it's not working. You can also cause guns to malfunction. And, and quite simply, the easiest way to describe causing any firearm to malfunction is put your hands on the moving parts of the gun while it's being fired, and that gun is likely to malfunction. Do it with any pistol. You know, put your hand on the slide of a pistol while someone's trying to fire a pistol, the gun's not going to fire. Uh, a rifle, keep the bolt from returning back into battery, you've now malfunctioned the gun. And that can create that opportunity should you not have that opportunity to present itself. So you can make those guns malfunction. And also don't forget, and I kind of alluded to this when I, when I was talking about a group of people charging a shooter. If that gun's not pointed at something that is of high value, especially human life, it can't hurt anything either. And so if you can just simply divert the muzzle of the gun and control that into an area where if the trigger's pulled, the damage is going to be property damage, minimal damage, that's a win as well because the rifle's not able or the handgun's not able to cause the harm that that person wants it to cause. And that's, you know, it's not a, an optimal situation. It's not a situa situation I want to be in. However, if I'm sitting in that situation where my family is there, other people are there, heck, I'm there by myself, and I've got the choice of, you know, I can die on my knees today, or I can do something, you know, in the, in the words of Todd Beamer, let's roll. These are some things you can do. Well, Joe, I know you've got a little something to say about this. I bet you do. <laughs> um Yes, uh, by my book, Workplace Safety, uh, Establishing an Effect, there's, there's a couple of other things um, that I would add in. First is, is mindset. You have to have trained yourself, your mind, to take control in these situations. And I think Jeff Cooper um, uh, put it best when I saw uh, uh, in one of his articles that the problem with most people when faced with a crisis is they immediately think, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Versus the person with the proper mindset um, who has thought about this and perhaps even trained for it will say, I always knew this could happen and this is what I'm prepared to do about it. The other piece is um, awareness. Uh, if you don't see it coming, if you're not paying attention, and you don't see it coming, it's not going to do you any good to be prepared because you won't have seen it. Uh, so the first thing we have to do is the uh, mobile communication devices. Um, stop updating your Facebook page. Nobody cares that you're at the airport. 
Nobody cares that you're at a movie theater. Nobody cares that you're at a restaurant. Um, you know, put those things down. And I go back to right after 9-11. Um, no aircraft flew for two weeks. And as soon as that was lifted, I had to fly on business. And the people in the airports and the people on the planes, there was a clear difference in how they acted. People at the airport and people on the plane were very aware. Um, I hate flying. I think it's boring. And I really can't read. And I really can't, you know, do work when I'm in a plane. The seats are too close together. Can't get my laptop out. Um, so I just fall asleep. Well, right after 9-11, probably for a year or so, I forced myself not to sleep on an airplane. Because if somebody got up out of their seat when they shouldn't have, I wanted to know about it. I want to know where they're going. And I want to determine, was there anything I needed to do about it? And similarly, uh, people were watching, you know, everybody was watching everybody in the airport. There was a great amount of there. And we've slacked off on that. Um, so the awareness piece is important. The mindset piece is important. And um, looking at common objects as a weapon, as Paul was talking about, fire extinguisher is a fabulous weapon, and they're in every public building. Squirt them in the face to divert them, smack them with the canister, um, throw anything at the person's head they're going to react, they're going to flinch, they're going to blink, their head's going to go back. There's an opening, there's your chance to grab the muzzle and twist the muzzle or twist against the person's trigger finger. And as soon as that trigger finger snaps, problem's over. So there's a lot you can do. I remember after 9-11, I began looking around for what I could possibly have with me to defend myself on plane. And this was before the advent of the tactical pen, the tactical writing instrument. But I found on Levenger.com a set of uh, um, uh, engineering writing, uh, writing instruments. Uh, they were made out of stainless steel. They were slender. And they came to um, a very nice cylindrical point. And I began carrying one of those because I looked at those and thought, you know, I could stab this into somebody's neck if I have to. Uh, I could put somebody's eye out with this. I could generally hurt them, um, uh, you know, using it with an ice pick grip and hitting them in the head or hitting them in the arm or any place else. So the one thing we have to realize, the government cannot protect us at all times. So we have to do what we can do. So yes, there's there's many things that you you know you can do. It's like uh, uh, I, I, knife laws and, and carrying knives. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I had been looking into taking classes for you know knife fighting, and um, you know so you have the tactical pen. You're able to carry that you know supposedly almost everywhere, right? And then um, you also you know, can carry the knife. Of course, there's different knife laws everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it, it could be different from, you know, your city you live in going through the county to the next city that you work in. I mean, it can change just like that. I know North Carolina, it's all over the place uh, to a certain degree, but in North Carolina, you know, it's also ambiguous. So it's, who knows, as long as you, it's being able to be seen, I think you're in good shape and it's not, like a switchblade or whatever, but okay. But I, one of the things that that you guys were talking about, it, which again we should dr drive home, I think, is the fact that uh, you go for certain aspects of the person's body, uh, the gun itself, or uh, whatever they're trying to manipulate to cause harm. Uh, and one of the things in reading and listening and talking to people that have been in knife, you know, uh, classes, is I. Uh, I just automatically think, well, you're going to start using your knife to stab the other person or to slash the other person. But technically, you want to get them around where their knife is or their the gun is or wherever. You cut that arm or that hand up as much as it can, and it will he'll drop it, you know. And that that's that's part of the thing too. It's like you guys were saying, you know, there's there's certain targets that you need to go by. 
a go-to. So Yeah, when it comes to sharp weapons, there's really two different uh, camps out there. There are the people that are about the mechanical damage to prevent the person from continuing to harm you. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean cutting muscles and tendons and ligaments on hands and arms where it is that the, the weapon is, those kinds of things, which um, may be your only option in a situation. Let's say you're, you're using your knife to defend your gun that's in the holster. Someone makes a, a grab for a gun. That makes a lot of sense in some ways is to attack that hand. That's where your focus is. I get that. The other camp says, you know, well, let's use this knife the same way we, we would use a firearm. Mm-hmm. We're not going to try and shoot the gun out of someone's hand. Instead, we're going to shut down the operator, so we're going to put holes in places where they are no longer going to be able to function due to damage done to multiple systems of the body through blood loss, etc. And so those are really the two different camps with sharp weapons, and and I think that there's probably some validity to both sides, and that's going to depend on the specific situation. Yeah. I mean, you you see these videos I've been watching... And, of course, it's in the controlled thing where you've got yeah. the instructor and you've got somebody that obviously knows how to, you know, knife fight. And they're slowly going through it and showing the maneuvers and how the body's angled and the arms and all this. And then, uh, you know, but the truth of it is it's so fast and so furious and so crazy. You're just trying to do whatever you can, right. you know. I mean, it's right. like this flurry of activity and, you know, you'd be lucky probably to get anything done, you know. And which goes back to what Joe's saying, you know, you need to have your mindset uh, there for you to uh, to keep you know, focused, I guess. Head, face, and neck are great targets for sharp weapons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so here we are, we're talking about, uh, you know, Brussels and airport. And so for some, for most folks, in most situations, you know, sharp weapons become more limited. The knives are out and you're down to the tactical pens and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Great. The, the the engineering tools, if that's the, the mode you want to go. One of the things that I started to do, and, and Joe, you're absolutely right, because I haven't done this in the past year or so. I used to carry a, a paddle lock and the idea was, well, you know, I mean, if I ever need to lock up my suitcase or something like that, I can do that. And I carried a spare pair of socks. You know, I like to take care of my feet. Well, okay, the other thing that I always had in my mind was dropping a padlock into a tube sock and swinging that thing around. Yeah. That's a pretty formidable tool right there for being able to shut somebody down. And the other thing I like about that is it extends reach. Mm-hmm. You know, a sharp weapon, that's, you know, physical contact. Man, I get a tube sock that's 20 inches long, Well, and, and I wear them high, baby. Um, <laughs> it, it gives you, uh, you know, 20 inches more reach. That could be an advantage too. Mm-hmm. The idea is is be ready to improvise. Take what it is that you have and do something. Do something. Yeah. Because if you don't do something, you're out of luck. In Brussels, we're talking about an airport. We're talking about a subway. We're talking primarily about explosives. The biggest thing to do in that situation is gain distance. You need to have distance from that epicenter. When something starts to happen, you need to find safe places to go. You know, I had a guy... Uh, not too long ago, he asked me, he said, what do you think is the best ballistic protection that there possibly could be? He's asking me from, an, I guess, the standpoint of, of being an expert on mm-hmm. <clears throat> materials and all. And um, the, the answer is exactly what you said. It's distance. Yeah. Because if, you know, the further away you are, <laughs> you know, that's that's what counts. And um you're right about that. You're right about it. But yeah, it's a, that was a terrible thing to see that. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's going to be over anytime soon. You know, they're continuing on, uh, which leads us. It's not It's not a problem, Doc, because our policies are working. I yeah, they're working. Yeah. <laughs> I just know, thank God for the Second Amendment. That may be one of the reasons why we don't have it here as much. You know, uh, but I already started last night seeing people on Facebook saying that the answer uh in the United States is more gun control. Well, yeah. They they even started talking about that. I think it was on MSNBC and they were I uh, had read, I don't watch the pro, you know any of their programs. But um uh where they had started saying something about gun control over there and you know, I this wasn't <laughs> I don't was a gun used at all? I have not seen any reports of any shooting. No. You know, what I what I spent time doing today, and of course I'm on vacation, so I'm not diving super deep into mm-hmm. a lot of the information, but this 
looks like it was specifically bombing. a bombing. Yeah. Multiple, multiple bombs. And, <clears throat> and, and one of the reports is there was a 35 pound bomb that failed to detonate. So thank God for that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's right. But, uh, you know, when are, when are people going to start to realize that you are responsible for your safety? And the reason that you're responsible for your safety more than anybody else is because it's you and those that you love that have to live with the consequences if something happens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, our government can't protect us all the time. Our government has no intention. They have no duty to protect us all the time. Mm-hmm. We're the only ones that have that duty. That's and we right. need to t- start taking that seriously. That's what it comes down to. And that's a good place to end it. So uh, good comments tonight. Um, appreciate it. Gentlemen. Uh, got anything else? Uh, yeah, you want to add before we close shop here? Crickets? I'll no, I, I'll throw some stuff out there. Doc. Yeah, I, I was that was giving it to you actually. I so. Well, I, I wanted to be the polite fellow, and if Joe had something he wanted to jump on, I, I got I'd, you. Uh, but uh, don't forget about those Gun Nation T-shirts, folks. Uh, we've got uh, several folks, several folks a day that are ordering T-shirts, so that's great to see. We're waiting till we get those first hundred and fifty T-shirts or so ordered before we get those uh, sent off to the manufacturer and have them made and printed and back to us and then out to you. So if you're thinking about getting a t-shirt and you should be because they're cool, you need to do that quick. Just go to safetysolutionsacademy.com slash gun nation T and you can pick up your gun nation t-shirt. Yep. Uh, I got a link to that uh, right on the uh, each, each episode uh, post. So got that there too. And then, uh, Average Joe, you know, you stay, uh, you stay warm uh, tonight. Uh, Thank you, I will. Just, uh, you know, got your kerosene heater or anything to help you out there? I just concentrate on my chi, and that warms uh, the, the body. <laughs> now, is that like vodka? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I feel good. for you, man. I feel for you. <laughs> All right, guys, I appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. All right. See you, boys. That's going to do it for this episode of the Gun Nation. Thanks for listening to the program. Pay a visit to gunnation.us for all things Gun Nation and the link to the T-shirts. Get yours today. Until the next episode, remember, stay armed, stay polite.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.